Hi everyone, Tiffany here with a super quick note that this podcast was recorded as part of a previous bundle season. That means that the dates that you're about to hear for the bundle, well, they're no longer correct. If you're interested in seeing what the dates are for this year's sale, please visit thebellydancebundle.com. There you'll find all the up-to-date information on our upcoming bundle. While the dates may be wrong and the class mentioned here isn't available through us any longer, many of our guests still have their courses available for purchase individually, so please do feel free to click through to their offerings and take a look. You're going to want to check it out after hearing how brilliant they are. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. dancers, it's Tiffany from Yala Rocks here with you today as we bring on a new face to the bundle, Aubrey Hill. I took classes from Aubrey back when I lived in Los Angeles and I loved the way that she brought her entire life experience to the dance. Technically, we, we all do that, but it always seemed like Aubrey did it on purpose rather than just as a side effect of a lived experience. Today, we're talking about how video and our dance go together, and I cannot wait for you to dive into this one. She blew my mind more than once, and I cannot wait to hear her lecture that is part of this year's Belly Dance Bundle, which, by the way, is on sale on October 21st. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. Today, we're here with Aubrey Hill. Aubrey, this is your first time with the bundle. Welcome, and I'm so excited to have you this year, not only for the bundle, but also on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be a part of this. So since this is your first time on the podcast, Aubrey, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about how, how belly dance has kind of affected your life, how you got into it you know, give us the backstory. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll try to do the briefer story of it. Uh, I've been a dancer my whole entire life. And when I started college, I was, um, give, I sent my resume to a variety of different dance studios in the local area. I was already teaching jazz and tap and hip hop. And I was hired to start teaching a variety of different classes at a local studio near the university that I was attending. And the head director and main teacher was a belly dancer from back in the 60s. And it was her main passion. It was her entire life. And then she also ran this multidisciplinary dance studio space. And so I was really introduced to the dance through her. And I'm very grateful for that because um, coming from such a wide band of different types of dance styles, I appreciated that she did a ton of research, that um, she was constantly introducing us to new concepts of regions and styles and historical points. A lot of it's still very much from an American perspective. So there was a very strong entertainment filter on all of it. 
but at least planted the seeds for me to understand the diversity of this dance form. And so from there, um, I think she had plans for me because um, my first class quickly turned into taking classes every day of the week. Um, I started doing a variety of performances. At that time, it was really popular to do belly dance grams. So for like somebody's birthday or celebration, they would send a dancer. And so I started doing things like that and dancing in the local restaurants. And the dance really uh, took over my life in, in more ways than one. Uh, I was going to school. I got my degree in zoology and chemistry. I did all of that. Um, but at the same time, I was dedicating more and more of my time and energy towards the dance. And after I graduated, realized that it was uh, fulfilling something in me and inspiring me in a whole different way than I had come across with any other dance form or any other subject matter. And so um, dove into uh, traveling and researching and studying and diving into every educational opportunity that I could to learn more. And it is now the, um, the pathway that I really live in life, <laughs> both as an educator, as a continual student, as a director, a choreographer, and as a uh, teacher. Wonderful. I love that even, even if it was from a very American perspective and, and entertainment filtered, I love that your first teacher did plant those seeds. Because um, I do think that as teachers, that's one of our jobs is to, is to move beyond just the dance and talk about the history and the culture as best as we can and start pointing people in the directions of resources that can help them learn more about that, right? So that, you know, whenever you're ready as a dancer, right, years later, you can start doing that traveling and the research and, and that bringing that back into your dance as well. Absolutely. She was fantastic of understanding, and I didn't know this at the time, but of understanding um, the context, right? That if you're working with like a bunch of college students, right, that some of them may be really interested in the cultural perspective of things. Um, and that also, since it was a college town, that she had a different group of students almost every semester kind of deal. So she kind of packed in as much information in and around things in a way that didn't feel like we were taking our vitamins, right? But really giving <laughs> these like inspiring moments for us to connect to cultures that were different than our own, um, different experiences than our own, and, and then let us really kind of um, take that inspiration and fly from there. So a lot of the dancers that came through her studio space um, have continued to work within the dance in a wide range of different types of ways. And I think as teachers, we can create that sense of inspiration. We can help facilitate tools for our students. Um, we don't have to dictate their pathway, right? We don't, that, that will usually end up being very short-lived uh, because everyone has unique gifts that they can offer onto the planet, in my opinion. And so what will inspire them and what will drive them within their learning process and what they will create moving forward will be different. And so if we as teachers can offer different tools and help um, facilitate um, as much of a responsible, well-rounded education for them, then they will be able to run with things and be able to research areas that maybe haven't gotten a chance to, um, to be more developed or um, add in different nuances. And, and we need the whole community in that type of way to really represent the diversity of the dance form and the perspectives that are possible. 
That was so well put. I don't even have anything to add. That was just so well put. Um, so speaking of community and tools, right? That's with the bundle this year, the lecture side, especially we have expanded and you're coming on um, as part of that. And honestly, the amount of knowledge that is gonna be in this lecture bundle is like mind boggling, even to me, like I'm so excited to, to host these lectures and sit through them myself. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your lecture is going to be in this year's bundle? Absolutely. I'm really excited about this one. Um, so performance in the new era is really talking about how dance has evolved in such a way, specifically within this year, but has been growing in this direction for a while now, as we have new technology available to us, and as we are really starting to explore how film and video can be a influential tool in how we create dance performance. So we will be talking about how video art has been one element of inspiration, exploration of how we use video in different types of ways. And then also talking about how there has been a restriction in the past is how we think about video. Because commonly within the dance community, we have used video as a way of documenting what's happening, right? Whether it's a, a single, image or single camera uh, and really getting a chance to just feel that kind of the it flattens out the performance generally speaking that it is not uh, a variable that's influencing how you are presenting the dance form and so it becomes a documentary tool which is wonderful and great and it's a valuable aspect to education and preserving things into a certain extent but there's so much lost right when you watch a performance on video you don't get a chance to feel the expression in the same type of way as when you're sitting there right you don't feel the vibration in the air and all of those wonderful things it doesn't uh, have the same evocative quality when we start looking at video as really being an additional variable of expression in the same way as your costuming and your lighting and your setting and the actual moves and staging and everything along those lines, when we start working that into the equation, we start really utilizing video as, a, as an additional partner to the dance expression. And we can start creating more full, rich dance performances through the film itself. So instead of it being a, a, a two-dimensional experience, I'm not actually talking about going into 3D land, although that would be really fun to work with at some point too, um, but really allowing it to video, you can change perspective, right? Now your audience is not just sitting in one seat, but they actually get a chance to maybe zoom in and be a part of a more intimate point of that expression. Or maybe they pan outwards. Now all of a sudden you are curating a much larger perspective on the piece. It, you get a chance to create so much uh, more diversity and curation of what the audience gets to experience through film. So the lecture is going to be talking about some of those variables and how we can do within the minimal technology that we have available to us really enhance our dance performances in video and thus be able to share our performances, not within our immediate community only, but within the grand scope of the global community. And I think within um, this year in particular, within the pandemic, uh, we've had so much uh, loss in different types of ways as to how we have connected in the past and 
being able to create and evolve our dance form through video is such a beautiful kind of serendipitous uh, treasure that we can tap into to connect deeper with each other, even though we are far apart. I love the idea of, because we're, we are artists in our dance, but we, we don't necessarily think of our artistry from this point of view. And, and now we've kind of been forced to, right? As we're, you know, not only with the pandemic, like, you know, with more virtual shows happening and, and experiencing our dance in this kind of new quote unquote way, because people have been dancing online for some time, but also with the prevalence of social media and like Instagram growing and like doing these mini performances, even on social media platforms for, you know, just your fans or just your audience or just for fun, like just for your own enjoyment to put something together and put it out into the world without having to wait for, you know, the Christmas recital or the summer recital or whatever local thing is happening. So the ability to kind of look past just the artistry of the dance itself and then how it is portrayed on film is I'm really excited to see and listen to you speak to these things more in depth um, in this lecture because I think that even though at some point we will be back to in-person performances that that this global community that we've started to establish isn't going away like performing online now is it's a thing Absolutely. We've thrown that door open and there's no closing that now. And I think what's wonderful about it in the same type of way that technology has changed a variety of other art forms, like let's, let's think about it in, as the analogy of what's happened within the music world. Now that people can record and mix and master all of their music themselves in their own garages, right? That so many more musicians are able to get their music out into the world and to their audiences. So when we start thinking about how um, in different art forms, we might have quote unquote gatekeepers, right? That are uh, facilitating who gets seen or who the audience has access to when we're thinking about art. Um, this is another way, utilizing video with for dance is another way of removing that kind of restriction. And so it really opens up um, the platform for performance for everyone, which I think is extremely valuable because we now, uh, we can, we don't have the restrictions of any one particular person saying what is valuable or what is not valuable. And in, when we're thinking about art, art needs a diversity of voices. It needs a diversity of perspectives. And we need to have that constantly as a part of um, the larger scope of what's available in the community, as well as just being able to have a space to practice and explore because art also is such a complex form that you have to really be able to practice and, and make a bunch of kind of crappy dances for a while before you make even something remotely interesting. And if you're only getting a chance to do, yeah, like one recital a year or maybe, you know, two recitals, right? It's, it can take, um, can take a lot more preparation and a lot more, many more years, right? In the kind of way of just getting a chance to practice. And, and what, how do you take the, maybe the lessons from this one show that you did like a year ago and apply that to the next show time you get a chance to do that performance? Whereas now that we're working in video, we can take those lessons and apply it immediately. 
right? So the growth can be exponential. And I'm not just thinking about this as being a time efficient element of things, but this is actually something as a teacher I really thought about specifically because when we look at other dance forms, um, most people, when we think of like ballet or jazz or a lot of our other forms, uh, most people come into those forms as children, right? So they get a good 20 years under their belt uh, of training and of practice and of performances and recitals and learning nuance and musicality and all this before there's ever the kind of um, request to start making something artistic. Now, when most people come into Middle Eastern dance in some type of way, right, they are coming in mostly as adults. And one, I think that's wonderful. I think that's absolutely wonderful. I have so many students that come into this dance form that unfortunately as children were somehow taught that they were or told that they couldn't dance or that that wasn't something that they had inclinations to or whatever along those lines. And it makes my heart so heavy and sad whenever I hear that. And so it is such an empowering and wonderful blessing when students do come into this form as adults and they get a chance to explore a dance form that is accepting of one that they are an adult, that they didn't have to start when they were like two or three years old and that they can find a voice in this dance. But then if we go back to that analogy, like, okay, then we're asking people to come into this dance form and, and try to get some training and under technique and understanding and body awareness and musicality and cultural understanding and a vastness of history. We're trying to get all of this education into them so then they can start exploring what they want to express within the dance form. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an unfortunate idea to think about somebody coming into this dance form and be like, okay, you're 30 now, give yourself 20 years. And then by the time that you're 50, you'll be ready to say something, right? <laughs> you're kind of like, okay, that, you know, like it's not just about practicality, but as adults, wow, we have a pull of our attention and our time is, is highly valuable. And so getting a chance to have an hour to dance is prime time. So having the ability to practice the performance element of it, I think is really an amazing way for adults in particular to get a chance to really hone in on what their art is to explore new ideas to play right Ooh, as adults we need to play and to develop our artistic voice we really need to be able to have a sense of play and repetition and exploration in that type of way and now that we are thinking about how we can open that up and share it within social media on our own platforms or within online shows or curations of all kinds of different sorts. We have so many more opportunities now to create art and to share that art. And that is amazing because we need to create a bunch of poo-poo before we create <laughs> any little shiny treasure. And so like the more that we can create art, it's not just about quantity, right? It's about the practice. It's about getting in there. It's about making decisions, trusting yourself, developing that trust within yourself as you're making those decisions. Um, and then also learning from things that maybe were less successful. I'm not even going to say failures, but you're like, oh, something didn't work in that dance. What was it? And then like maybe making some different decisions and we need to be able to play within that and opening up video and opening up, um, being able to throw those performances on your Instagram or your Facebook or whatever social media platform that you are using is an awesome way to try things out, to test them out. You're throwing them out into the ether of um, social media land, right? You're getting maybe some feedback or you're getting a chance to request some feedback from people and you're getting a chance to see 
how you shape your voice within your dance. What is it that you want to say within your dance? You get a chance to get over all of the things of like what we do when we first start performing, right? When we throw every technique that we've ever learned in the dance, right? We're trying to prove <laughs> that we know what we know, right? We get, we get over that. We finally get a chance to move beyond that. And then we're like, okay, now you've showed us all of our techniques. What do you want to say with your dancing, right? So we get a chance to move into that space. And that's when things get interesting. I, I love this. And I think this ties really well into something else I wanted to ask you about. And it's using video in this, in this way, in this artistic, more artistic method. One, I think the way that you're describing it actually makes it sound like it might be a really good way for people to define their quote unquote style. You know, everybody gets asked all the time, like, what's your style? What is, what is it that makes your dance you? What's, what makes it unique to you? And I feel like that's something that students struggle with a lot. You know, it's, it's one of those like kind of prevalent issues that you see students all over the world asking like, how do I find my style? How do I figure out what that is? And it almost like to me, what you're talking about connects, like that would be a way to figure that out. Absolutely. And I think too, there's a, uh, there's a confusion generally speaking within the community and when we're talking about style as to whether we're talking about the genre of dance that they're residing within or if they're talking about their individual voice. Yes. And so within that, um, there's usually a confusion about the genre, right? Because as we're learning, we're trying to learn what the parameters are, what makes a genre a genre, right? Because there's generally when we're thinking about that, some, we use the word style as well. And we're like, okay, if I'm doing Egyptian style, what does that mean? And like, what, is a, what are the expectations around using that term, right? So we're learning that. So then there's that part of things. So, and some of that has to do with like, if we just fall in love with certain aesthetics and certain cultural nuances and expressions, right? We might find ourselves sitting very particularly in one genre. Me, myself, personally, I, I've never fit nicely into any one box. <laughs> um, so I generally have a few different genres of dance that I really like working with and depending on what is it that I'm expressing uh, within that piece. And then separately from that is the individual voice. Which is what and I was referring to. And I, I so love that you're go. breaking yes. it down. <laughs> so within that, right, part of it is one understanding who we are. And so I think uh, an element of kind of putting that in when we're thinking about social media and a lot of the conversations that are happening around that is sometimes what, what we kind of look at about um, branding, right? Or kind of like, what are the um, iconic qualities that define who you are as an artist? So when we're looking at those sides of things, um, some of that is a lot of trial and error, right? That kind of what we did when we were teenagers. When we were teenagers, we, we tried on a lot of different identities to kind of see what fit or what didn't fit. And so when we're looking at the artistic voice side of things, that's a part of it. And what I do, I, I do a mentorship program as well. It's called the Rocks Artist Project. And we dive way into this side of things because there are elements that get very confusing. And let me see if I can break this down um, in a simplified form. There's the ideas of what is popular in your immediate circle of people, right? And commonly those trends uh, are very 
because of their popularity, there is a social pressure to also like them, right? And we just have personal preferences within things, right? Like if you're thinking about flavors of ice cream, right? The fact that I might really like vanilla and I'm not really very fond of strawberry doesn't mean that I think strawberry shouldn't exist, but it just means that I have a personal preference towards this. Why I'm talking about this kind of popular taste and trends is that sometimes within that there is a, a fear of stepping outside of the trend because it doesn't fit your personal preference as a way that might exclude you from being a part of that community, right? A lot of our gestures of dress, of mannerisms, of uh, word choices, everything along those lines, right, are reiterating what cultural group that we are a part of, what social group we are a part of. And the trends, the popular culture, right, is an element of that. And so what I've noticed within artists, especially as they're working on trying to develop their voice, is sometimes those wanting to be a part of a group, wanting to be a part of uh, a, a social um, connection of people can become maybe uh, unconsciously uh, more of a priority than understanding their own preferences, right? So that sometimes our decisions within our art will be more based within um, what is trending versus what we really like. And along those lines that sometimes we have a fear about saying something that we don't like. Um, so like, and, and again, it, it, it's not that we don't think it shouldn't exist necessarily, but maybe it's just not your thing. There's some different trends in costuming that I think are a great example of this, right? We all have different bodies, right? So if I wear some of the costumes that are really popular right now, they're not very flattering on me. And there may be a sense of the pressure to wear that style because it is the new hot thing right now that everybody is doing. And maybe I really want to be a part of that group of people. I want to say that I'm a part of these new trends and I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm in this society of people without building up the artistic confidence that can come with time and practice. Um, that means that we're then making choices that are counter to our actual artistic um, preferences and values, aesthetics, what is true to our own style. Right. So like, it, you know, it, when a color is really popular and everyone's like, oh, you have to wear this color. And you're like, well, I don't really like chartreuse or whatever the case is. Right. And so building up confidence to, to recognize what we truly like and what we don't like, right? And feeling confident within that and being able to explore those things. Because also sometimes when we have a strong feeling one way or the other, it's like, ooh, well, that might be, give us a lot of information as to um, who we are as individuals, as artists, right? So I, I actually do this exercise um, with my, my students where I have them pull out a magazine or they could do this on Pinterest. It's a little more fun to do it, I think, physically. And you give them about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, but you try to keep it pretty short. And you have them tear out any image that they love and any image that they hate. And those are strong words. They're really strong words, right? But try to quickly. do it. Yeah, you have to do it really quickly. So you have to really trust yourself. And then after you do that, you go through and look at all the, the images that you pulled out that you said you loved. Like what gave you that an immediate sense of inspiration that you loved them? You start seeing trends of what do you really, what are you really drawn to? And then look at the pile of all the things that you, you 
felt that felt uh, that initial response of hate, right? Hate's a really strong word. It's really not my favorite. It's probably on the very lowest part of that list of words. Um, but along those lines, right, you get a really chance to see whether the trends of things that you actually really dislike. And it's a great way to become more aware of your own style, of your own preferences within things. Like, I love texture. I don't like busy. I don't like a bunch of patterns next to each other. I like it on somebody else. Like other, some, I don't know, someone else can rock that like totally. But on me, I feel like it envelops me in such a way that it doesn't work very well. Right? Like, again, these are understanding your own personal preference, not as a way of like, this is what everyone's preferences should be. Right. But understanding what is your unique voice that comes through in your dancing. And it's the same type of way when you're thinking about your movement quality or your shapes or any of the aspects that we come to as a part of our dance art, right? What music draws you in? What do you have favorite instruments, right? And along those lines, right? That the, some of the things that are in the dislike pile might be really interesting from an artistic standpoint to investigate. You're like, well, what is it that I don't like about that? If you have an instrument that's not really your favorite, you're like, well, what, why? Is it a sound that you don't actually like? Does it remind you of somebody that you didn't really like? Or what is that? You know, like investigating that because strong feelings can be really a helpful um, way of understanding ourselves, but also can be a really creative source um, for inspiration. Well, I also think too, like sometimes we dislike things because we're not good at them, but we don't realize that that's why we dislike them. And so when you have to sit down and be like, why don't I like this? Like you kind of have to examine like the fact is like, am I, am I uncomfortable dancing to this because I don't feel like I'm doing it quote unquote right. Yeah. You know? So absolutely. then like, is that really a reason to dislike something or do we need to then take our artistry into that space on purpose to, to work with it and, and, and grow in that way? Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I, I give myself um, little assignments in my pieces a lot and um, there's been various movements that I have found very challenging. And so was um, avoiding them in different types of ways. And I was like, okay, your next piece is going to make sure that it has that in it so that I can really investigate like, yeah, like one, the ownership of it in my body as just an additional tool for expression. Um, so rounding out the personal practice, the physical practice side of things. Um, but yeah, also just removing that sense of a limitation on myself. So when you were speaking about getting better at performing through sheer volume of performances, right? Being able to, to do all these videos, put them all out there, making a lot of crap before you make something great. I was yes. actually, I was thinking that that's, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that dancers kind of as a whole have trouble watching themselves on video because they don't get to do it that often, right? If you're only performing once or twice a year as a student, then, you know, you're only watching yourself on video once or twice a year. You're not, you're not getting that exposure to be able to, to distance yourself from the feelings you had about the piece to look at it a little more objectively. Cause one thing that I recommend a lot to people is to use video to grow their practice, right? Watch, watch an old performance or two or three and really sit down. Don't be hard on yourself. This isn't about hating what you did or what you didn't do, or, you know, like you did the best you could at the time and you were amazing. Like, I don't, I don't care what it looked like. You did the best you could at the time and it was amazing. And so now looking at it, 
just from a like, what do I want to work on next in my practice perspective? And, but finding that distance I find is very difficult for dancers. And I, I wonder if it's, if, if this is kind of one of the reasons is the sheer lack of practice with video that we've had up to this point. Uh, I think there's a complexity that happens in that, which is um, an interesting one that I have been noticing specifically within a variety of students as we went into the pandemic, because a lot of our classes are now on things like Zoom and things along those lines. And there's a lot of people in general that are actually really coming across the um, realization that they don't like being able to see themselves <laughs> as they're doing these things. And um, it's created a, a really interesting sense of um, conversation around that uncomfortableness. So I think the, uh, the sense of detachment that you were talking about within video is one, getting a chance to understand um, the space that we can have around the fact that the dance is, it's a kinesthetic experience, right? We are in our bodies when we're doing it. So it feels vastly different than it may look within the, the flat screen of our video. And so part of what I wanna work on and experience and, and explore within my, the performance lecture is really how we take the experience and, and use the video to enhance that as an aspect of things and not just flatten it out, right? Um, so part of it, yeah, is the, is the differential between the, the kinesthetic experience, being in my body, not necessarily having to have all of my gremlin voices in the forefront of my, my thought process, right, when I'm in dance class, because students get a chance to choose when they're in like a physical dance class, whether they look at themselves in the mirror or whether they just look towards the teacher, right, or whether they look at the class as a whole. And now that we're doing online instruction, this is really coming up as an issue because people are constantly being bombarded with their own image. And I think there's a great way to explore how we can come from a space of loving acceptance of ourselves first and foremost, right? Like when we have that reaction, those gremlin voices, right, that are dominating our immediate response to the video that we're watching. And so some of the fun things that I like uh, kind of placing out there for my students is one, find the things that they really liked find the things that they see improvement on, give themselves a few compliments, right? Like, and even if they really have to search for them, because sometimes that's a really hard task at first, but I, I don't want them to watch the video and immediately start tearing themselves apart, right? Is what you were talking about before. This is Absolutely. not, it's not proactive. It's not helpful, right? And then it's just like self-torture. So, but looking at it and being able to see that our progress is constant, that we are and we are constantly changing, we're learning, we're growing, we're trying new things, right? And when we're trying new things, sometimes that doesn't work out perfect. Obviously, um, most of the time it doesn't actually. Like, <laughs> it takes a lot of times of doing it not correctly, right? So looking at the minute, looking at the subtle, like what little things actually maybe were more embodied or more in the music, what little elements of things were successes? And then being able to go, okay, this process, this learning is long-term right? So what are my next little steps that I'm going to work on? 
there's no perfect. There's never a time that our technique is perfect, that we got the perfect body, we got the perfect performance, blah, 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 and blah, 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 right? That just never happens. I think once we get over that as a concept, it's really liberating because we can use the idea of perfection as an inspiration, right? And a motivation for like gaining of more skills, gaining more training, opening up our capacity, right? So we remove the limitations, right? But also then being able to go, oh, right, perfection is not the thing that I'm going for. I'm going for the living human experience that is right now. So I'm going to use the tool that is my tool right now, which is my body, which is going to change every single day, and it's going to have different strengths and weaknesses. I got to use this tool to make my expression, and I got to make my expression with what I know now. And that expression is going to change as well because I'm learning different things about who I am in the world. I'm learning more about the world itself and what I want to do within the dance, right? So that, it, that evolution, that constant process of things can, I think, allow for that more compassionate way of looking at the video, right? Because if, if we remove the concepts that we have to wait till we're perfect, till we do something, um, then I think we can then be able to celebrate even the smaller successes in our progress. And then the video can be um, a, a great way to then be able to see what is working, what is not working. It can be the extra eyes. It's not, the video's not judging you, right? So like remove the gremlin voices from the conversation and allow Nobody the video just to them. be, exactly. They don't, they're not actually that helpful most of the time. And so what we could just look and be like, oh, that doesn't look how I thought it felt, right? And so be able to adjust that, that what we want to be expressing is truly what we are expressing. Wonderful. Aubrey, I knew you were smart, but it turns out you're a genius. <laughs> that's that's oh, well, how I feel I through the, the course of this conversation. Um, so can you give our listeners one tip, trick, idea, thought, something to consider um, the next time that they are filming a performance for whatever they're filming it for? What is something that they can take away from this conversation and implement right away? In, in right away? Way? I think... Yeah, I think when we're doing um, any of our videos, I think it's understanding um, the mood and the emotional uh, expression that you're creating with your piece. Um, so understanding that from every perspective of what you see on the video, right? Like what does the setting create? What does the lighting create? Making sure that all of the elements that are a part of the viewing experience are lined up and a part of what you are trying to express within the mood and the expression, the emotional kind of quality, right? If you are um, in a kitchen doing a performance, right, that you are acknowledging the fact that you're in a kitchen, that it's got to enhance some element of your <laughs> dancing, right? And I know we don't always have all of the tools available to us, right? But um, be creative within that, right? That because we are curating a box, right? That you don't actually need a ton of space all the time to be able to set the mood of the space within your video, right? So test it out. What, what does the mood create within things, right? Um, and be fearless in exploring how you can change some of those variables, right? Like 
how does the light reflect off of the mirror in your bathroom to the corner that maybe that nobody knows you're in a bathroom, but like, ooh, the lighting all of a sudden is like this beautiful, warm glow that works perfect for maybe you're doing something kind of vintagey and it creates that little softness that you want or, you know, like explore because you do get to curate just what's in the screen, right? Nobody needs to know what's at, whatever is off the screen. <laughs> you get to look and at so, your house with new eyes. Yes, and it's, it becomes really fun. And, um, and those little things make sure that um, all the variables that are then enhancing what it is that you wanna share, right? We even then have more control than if we were in a, a performance on a theater space where the theater is not something we necessarily control. We may or may not be able to choose the lighting, right? We may or may not get to choose where, how we come into the stage space, right? And now with video, you get to choose all of that Excellent. to play play with it, have fun. Absolutely. Excellent. Aubrey, can you tell people where they can find you on the internet? What, what do you teach online now? What do you, what are you doing? How can they find you? Because after this, I know everybody is going to want to learn more from you. Ah, thanks. I have a whole wide range of different classes and lectures that I offer on my Patreon, which is everything is under Aubrey Hill, A-U-B-R-E-H-I-L-L. And then I'm on Instagram quite a bit. I am on Facebook quite a bit. Um, and then I have my website, which is aubreyhill.com. Um, my email, aubrey at aubreyhill.com. Find me everywhere. I'm everywhere. Um, and feel free to reach out anytime. Um, I like dialoguing with people. I like um, having various conversations. If you want feedback, anything along those lines, like this community is, is my family and that's how I look at it. And this art is, has given me purpose in life and allowed me to explore who I am on this planet and who the planet is. <laughs> and I am um, deeply devoted um, to all of that. Um, so um, feel free to reach me anytime. Awesome. Aubrey, I have one last question for you that we're asking everyone this year. Um, and that is to tell us a story about the strangest place that you have ever danced. The strangest place I have ever danced. Um, I'm not even sure I would know what the strangest places I would ever dance. <laughs> I think as an artist, I've ha I have uh, explored so many different elements of space and setting that I'm not sure what would be considered strange anymore. <laughs> I think probably the strangest place I've had as a dressing room was a meat was locker. Nice. That was, that was as a vegetarian in particular. Oh, that no. was, that was really gross. Um, that was definitely a hard one and it was really cold because it was a meat locker. Um, and there was like platters of, uh, chicken laying out that was thawing. That was really disgusting. Um, Dressing room wise, yeah, there definitely has been some more weird dressing room sides of things. Um, weirdness for performances, you know, I've, I've performed in like, you know, pipes, I've performed in rivers, I have performed, uh, I did do a performance on top of a rooftop, on top of a billboard. That was a little bit scary because I was kind of hanging over the edge of the building, but it was really invigorating. Um, I've been in window cells. I've, <laughs> I've, I've done performances in all kinds of different places, um, small spaces, large spaces. Um, you just gotta find the artistry everywhere. Everywhere, yes, yes. On top of a billboard or in the corner of your bathroom. Yes, absolutely, in a bathtub. I've done a performance in a bathtub too. Nice. In, in fully clothed too, by the way, so yes. <laughs>
Aubrey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be part of our lecture bundle this year. And I cannot wait to continue learning from you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. And I'm so excited about all of this. I've always loved Aubrey, and I'm so excited to be able to bring her in for this year's lecture bundle. She's a powerhouse, and the way that she can step back and examine not only the dance, but the artistry inherent in all the different parts of it, and how we're portraying that in different ways, genius. Hopefully, you took as much away from this conversation as I did. You can find more of Aubrey's work on her Instagram, at Aubrey Hill, her Patreon, or her website. Links to all of that are in the show notes page at thebellydancebundle.com slash 36. Aubrey's lecture, Performance in the New Era, will be available for the first time as part of this year's lecture section of the Belly Dance Bundle. You can find her task and many others as part of the 21 Days of Belly Dance Challenge on Instagram through the Belly Dance Bundle. Come make art with us.